The 166th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. From the Basketball Podcast Network, this is the Four Corners Podcast. We win! 54 to 53! North Carolina did it! North Carolina wins the championship! With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Fred Brown looking, oh, way to Worthy! Worthy five! The Star Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber front court, Carolina with foul, he takes the timeout, they're out foul. of timeout! Technical foul! Technical foul on Michigan, they're out of timeout! And the party is ready to begin on Franklin Street. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May! It's over! Carolina has won the national championship! 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it! The Tar Heels are the national gaggum champions. Love guarded by Keels, gets a screen, pulls up for three. Got it! Caleb from straight away! Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys on Thanksgiving night to recap Carolina's 89-81 to win over the Portland Pilots in the opening round of the Phil Knight Invitational. We're going to take you through Carolina's win where we got a breakout performance from Pete Nance. We saw the best version of Caleb Love we've seen so far. We've seen some good, we saw some good offense. We saw some defense that needed some work on. And we'll also get you ready for Carolina Iowa State, which will come your way tomorrow afternoon. But, buddy, before we do any of that, I would be a bad host if I asked you. Uh, how was your Thanksgiving, and how was that football game you watched at 4.30 this afternoon? Uh, it was a good Thanksgiving, and uh, I watched a football team that uh, put out guys that should probably be playing in the CFL. So, I don't know. I don't really know how to feel. Uh, congratulations to your Cowboys, and looking forward to another first-round loss for you guys later on this year in the playoffs. Well, at least we'll be in the playoffs somewhere. The Giants, you know, haven't been for the last, you know, half decade or so. But, buddy, I got to tell you, um, you know, I knew there was potential to sweat during the the football game this afternoon. I did not anticipate to sweat as much as I did about 1 o'clock this afternoon. I had already started eating my first plate of food. And I was sweating not from the amount of turkey I had, but from the, the basketball I was seeing played. Uh, out there in Portland because Carolina just just you know the team we saw against James Madison and we were hoping was going to you know carry over into this event you, you may have saw it on offense you didn't see it on defense and Carolina had a lead of 40 to 38 at halftime um and and then they came out in the second half and they got hit in the mouth with the 15 to 6 run. They got down 7. And you know, it's not it's not foreign that this team, this team has trailed in the second half of games against uh the College of Charleston. Um and then, you know, they 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 did so in this game, but this one felt a little bit different. I, you know, in the College of Charleston, I still was pretty confident that Carolina was going to win that game. That game was at home. 
this was a road game, a neutral site game. The first time we've seen this team away from the Smith Center all season long. How were they going to respond? We didn't really know, um, but I, I thought they responded in a in, in as a positive way as possible because they didn't panic. They didn't flinch. They just kept plugging along. They kept doing what they were doing so well on offense, which was attacking the rim, collapsing the defense, and kicking the ball out. And then defensively, they got the four or five stops when they needed them to be able to pull out a victory. But, you know, I, I think we came into this game – feeling a lot more confident that we were going to see the team that we saw on Sunday. And we thought that maybe this team had finally come into, was starting to come into its own as the number one ranked team in the country. But I think after this one, uh, those questions still remain about this Tar Heel team, even though they sit right now at five and L. Yeah. I mean, it's look, you, we've said it in multiple sports. We said it a lot earlier this year on the football side of things. You like, to be able to walk away from a game where you have a lot that you have to clean up with a win. And that's that's pretty much how I looked at this game. Um, this, this was one that I thought was going to be a lot easier for Carolina. And at this point, maybe I shouldn't think that. Maybe it should be the thought going into every preview is, hey, Carolina is probably going to be in a battle because it seems like every time this year that we thought Okay, Carolina could come out and really handle an opponent, flex a little bit of muscle, and look like the number one team in the country. They haven't really done that. The one game where we thought they were going to get a huge challenge, we kind of prepared ourselves to be locked in a battle from start to finish. They played their most complete game of the season. So it's really just one of the most confusing starts that we've ever seen. Now, look, Portland is – Clearly a team that I think a lot of people probably took a little bit lightly, including ourselves. I mean, yeah, they've got two losses on their schedule to begin the season, but this is a team that the other, you know, earlier today, they shot the lights out in this game and they got guys. You saw why they had four guys that were in double figures scoring the basketball. Um, They looked like a confident team. And honestly, this was more of the game that we thought we were going to see from James Madison, a team that shot the ball incredibly well from beyond the arc. And look, Portland was inside of the top 75 in terms of three-point shooting coming into this game. But I don't think anybody thought that we were going to see this. They got into a rhythm early. Um, it, It was evident, you know, really after Carolina's two early turnovers, Armando Baycott's two early turnovers, they come down, knock down a couple of threes, that this was a team that was going to be looking for that the majority of the day, and they did. But Carolina did not look good defensively in this game. There was a lot that I think Carolina will have to clean up. And Hubert Davis brought it up at halftime that they didn't look great, and it didn't seem like they really made a ton of adjustments even after halftime. Um, And it seemed even immediate that it was going to be a second half very similar to what we saw in the first half. The one thing that I will say with this team now, and we've seen this now a few times for Carolina, really every game outside of the Gardner-Webb game, Carolina has closed games extremely well. Um, They did it in this one. This was a game that, honestly, I think there were multiple points where a lot of us were saying to ourselves, Carolina is probably heading towards a loss here with the way that they are playing right now. 
But when it mattered the most, Carolina made some clutch shots down the stretch. I thought R.J. Davis made the two biggest plays of the day. Um, I thought you saw, you know, Armando Baycott when he to get to double figures, a great play um, from everybody that was involved there. Leaky Black with a tremendous pass to him and a great finish. Carolina found a way to make the plays that they needed to at the end. The thing, though, is, is that this comes against another mid-major. And look, I think we've said it. You're going to find out a lot about this Carolina team here this weekend. But Carolina's got to be ready to go starting tomorrow. Uh, Iowa State's not a team that should be taken lightly. Um, This was their worst defensive game of the season that they played against Villanova, and they only let up 79 points. In and in a game that went into overtime, they are a tremendous defensive team. So if Carolina comes out and is struggling on the offensive end of the floor, if these defensive struggles carry over, this this could be a result that uh, Carolina does not want to see here uh, in the second day of the Phil Knight Invitation. Yeah, I, I I do think this team has closed games really well. I feel like their four-minute offense, whenever they're trying to close out an opponent, um, has been really good. And I feel like in a game like this one or the game like Gardner-Webb or, you know, some of some of the other games that Carolina has played and will play, there's there's not a sense of panic where they just look calm and collected. They know what they know what they want to run, they know who to get the ball to and where. And so I think that's a that's a testament to Hubert Davis and his staff because it, it's obvious they're practicing those situations in practice, and then you got to commend the players as well because then they are executing what is being asked of them. Let's take a look at the box score from this one, and um, it, it's it's a pretty one for the most part for the Heels. They shot fifty three percent from the field. They were thirty one of fifty eight. Uh, meanwhile, Portland was forty eight percent. They were twenty eight of fifty eight. Big kicker here, and we'll talk about this as the show moves on. Carolina was 11 of 22 from behind the arc. That's 50 That's fifty percent. And meanwhile, Portland was 12 of 32 for 38 percent. Where Carolina did struggle today was at the foul line, just 16 of 26 from the charity stripe. That just worked. That, that, that's just a 62 percentile. Um, meanwhile, Portland was 13 of 15. That's 87 percent. 13 turnovers for the Heels, which turned into 20 Portland points. 12 turnovers for the Pilots, which turned into 16 points for the guys in blue. The rebounding, I think this team has found out or is rounding into form in that department. They win the rebounding margin 39 to 23, uh, 27 to 18 on the defensive glass, 12 to 5 on the offensive glass, and they got 12 second chance points off of those 12 offensive rebounds. The bench, though, came up really short in this one for Carolina. They could outscore 25 to 3 off the bench. Points in the paint, 24 to 2. Carolina, fast break points, 5 to 4 in favor of Portland. Both teams with low numbers, considering how high scoring this game was. Both teams with one block. Uh, Portland outstole the Heels 10 to 4. They out assisted the Heels 22 to 17. Um, the, there were six times the game was tied. There were 13 lead changes, and Carolina led for 22 minutes and two seconds. You mentioned Hubert Davis talking about his team at uh, going into halftime, saying that, look, we haven't played well and we got to play better. It's going to change. 
Don't know if it necessarily changed or not, but he was asked about that in the postgame about his team's intensity and if he was satisfied with it. And he said, quote, no, I wasn't satisfied with it at times. I thought in the second half we responded. When we needed to rebound, we did. When we needed to get a stop, we got a stop. When we needed to score, we did score. When we needed to make winning plays, we were able to do that, but not at the consistent rate that you need to in order to have success. And that's the thing I was frustrated with. We were doing things consistently throughout the game that we haven't worked on at practice. And so I talked to them after the game. I don't have any understanding of that. I don't understand why we would do something different that we haven't drilled and what we haven't practiced in practice. When you do that and you go off script, it's not even successful. So I don't understand that. And that's something that I did address and will be better tomorrow. This this is maybe the first time publicly this year we've seen him frustrated with this team. We've seen it privately one-on-one with Jones Angel. We haven't really seen it in the public forum. You saw it going into halftime, and then that message was there even after the Tar Heels won the game. He even, you know, was asked in the postgame, you know, you're you're undefeated, you're you're you won the game, but you don't look happy. But you can you can sense that there's frustration setting in with Hubert Davis. Because and I'm I'm sure you saw some of the same talking points on Twitter, Facebook, or wherever. This team kind of feels like this team for the majority of last season where they lacked intensity, they lacked a care factor, and I felt like for the most part they were going through the motions. This is a second-year head coach, and this is the first time really having to deal with the expectations of other people just like his players. But I'm going to tell you, you know how hard I am on how I want my coaches to coach and how I want them to talk in the media I think he's doing everything the right way, and his frustrations is because simply his players aren't playing the way he wants them to, let alone what he how he expects them to. Yeah, I mean, it's it just looks like a team that doesn't really understand how big of a target they have on their back. They look like a team that thinks that they're going to come in here and, you know, kind of play – similar to the way they did late last year with not much expectation on them. And that's just, that's not the situation that is at hand for them. You have to bring it every single night. And look, to this point, you got to question whether or not they have brought it to every game that they have played in. Um, Today, look, maybe you can, uh, you know, sort of place this on the fact that Carolina had to fly out to the West Coast. Uh, they're playing 10 a.m. over there, their time, just trying to get used to playing there against a team that plays, you know, in that town uh, the, the almost the entirety of their season. I don't know. Maybe that is a factor. But it just seemed like what we saw the other day, and that's that's what I I think we were wondering was would what we saw on Sunday carry over into this game? Um, I think you know part of it is that they had probably a little too much time off. It would have been better if they could have gotten on the court Tuesday or Wednesday after this type of performance. But here's the thing: you you still have to be able to carry over performances even when you have that much time off, because there will be other times throughout the year where you will have that much downtime. You have to be able to continue those things. Ultimately, I think, you know, we got to just get to a point where these guys realize that 
the, the, you you've done some really good things at times this year, primarily in the second half of games. But it's about starting fast and finishing strong. You've got the finishing strong part down. But this is the fourth time in five games where you have not started fast. Look, you you, you got you did some good things early in the game. You hit a couple of shots from the perimeter, which was something that we talked about coming into this game They that they needed to do. But you turn the ball over too much a little bit early. You give Portland some confidence. And all of a sudden, once that team got confidence and once they got into a shooting rhythm, that was, I mean, that pretty much told you what type of game you were going to be in for for the rest of the day. And Carolina was never able to put together a run to pull away from them. Now, the good news is, is that they didn't let Portland do that either. But it's just, it, it definitely is concerning that this is happening against mid-major opponents. Because it's, as I said, starting tomorrow, it's only going to get tougher. You've got a couple of other mid-major opponents left on the schedule, but it's only a handful. And then from then on, then on out, it is power conference, at a conference teams, and conference matchups. So, I mean, look, this this team's just got to realize that things are not going to be easy for them. Yeah, you've got just about everybody back from a year ago, but things weren't easy last year. And that's the thing that I think blows my mind just a little bit is that it would make sense if last year you kind of rolled through that season. You were a team that was inside of the top 10 for the majority of the year. You got into the tournament as a one seed and you ran all the way to the national championship and just fell short. Maybe that would make a little bit of sense. But this was a team that had to work their tails off to get in a position just to make the NCAA tournament, let alone make the run that they did. So you would think that maybe they they would be locked in from the word go this year. I don't know. It just seems like right now they're out of sorts. And 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 part of what, you know, I, we brought it up the other day when we were previewing this game. One thing that I thought you had to see in this game from Carolina was the ability to score off the bench. Carolina does not have the bench scoring right now. Um, and Emily, and look, they didn't have great bench scoring a year ago, but right now it is just as bad, if not even worse at times than it was last year. Three bench points is not going to cut it. So they, they got to find help elsewhere on this team. But man, it, it's it, it's hard not to be at least a little concerned that we're seeing some things that resemble last year's squad a lot, something that we thought this team was sort of past. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's the battle this team is going to have to fight is, you know, looking, looking themselves in the mirror and realizing that what they did last year was last year. And for the most part, it was a six-week spurt. It, it wasn't like it was this year-long of great basketball play. It just kind of all came together and they got fire. And look, we're not, you can't diminish what they did. But with that and everybody coming back, and, you know, like Josh Graham told me on this very podcast, you're the ones that said it was national title or bust. And so when you say that, you, you, you put the, the, the target on your back. And right now, this team isn't playing 
like a team that that wants that target. They're not embracing it the way I think we all thought they were going to, and they've got to find a way to 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 combat that and then find a way to start playing better. Because as you mentioned, the the competition is only going to heat up, and that target's only going to grow larger and larger as the games, you know, get bigger in magnitude. Let's move on now to the stat of the game, and I went with three point shooting. Um, Carolina shot 50% from behind the three-point line. Portland shot 38%, which is a healthy number. But, you know, that 50 percentile, that's the highest of the season, and that was one of our keys to the game entering, was that Carolina had to start making perimeter shots. Pete Nance was a big reason why he made five of them. You know, I thought even though they were being successful, they never fell in love with the three, which is always the struggle that teams have when they get hot as they just keep chucking them. And sometimes you shoot your way out of a out of rhythm and out of a game. I thought today they were selective. They took them when they were there to be taken, and they made it when they needed to be made. Um, you had – Four different, five different players make a three pointer. So that's huge. So you got versatile three point scoring and makes it harder to defend. And that's something that I think we'll see become the norm as the season continues to move along. Well, this is normally where we take a break, but since this is a dual edition of the pod, we're going to keep it right here and stay focused on Portland and give now our main takeaways from the game. And the first one is Pete Nance. Because Carolina doesn't win this game without him. He scored 28 points, was 8 of 13 from the field, 5 of 8 from behind the three-point line, grabbed seven rebounds, handed out two assists, did that all in 35 minutes. And, of course, this performance comes after I criticize him on Twitter. Um, Because I tweeted out simply, I don't know how he put up the numbers he he put up at Northwestern, because he's soft. And in the moment, that's how I felt. And in the moment, he was he was playing soft. So I felt kind of justified to say, hey, he's playing soft. He would then go on to score 20 of his 28 points in that second half. And it was kind of like Dawson Garcia, and I believe it was the Purdue game last year in the Hall of Fame football classic where Carolina doesn't win that game without or, – or they don't even compete in that game without him. That was kind of his breakout game. We saw Pete Nance play really well in the first half against Gardner-Webb, jammed his finger, couldn't really replicate that success moving on. It was kind of quiet against the, against James Madison. But in this game, he was Carolina's heartbeat in that second half, and hopefully this is a performance that he can build off moving forward because, as we said all summer long, the you know it's imperative for, for Carolina to replace Brady Manick's production both you know, on the court and as a leader, Pete Nance is that guy. And this was a step in him being more trustworthy in both of those departments. Yeah. I mean, it, it, this is what we thought we were going to get a little bit in Pete Nance when Carolina brought him in. And look, I think he's still got, you know, ways to go rebounding wise. I I'm kind of with you. I don't see how this dude averaged double figure rebounds a year ago. I really don't, but um, it's that this was the type of performance that we knew we were going to have to see from him at some point. And look, this is now twice that we've seen this from him. He has the capability of taking over a game and scoring at a high level. And that was kind of what Brady Manick did for Carolina multiple times throughout that six week span that you talked about. So on the offensive end, 
they've got their guy. They got a guy that can do a lot of the similar things that Brady Manick did. Now, look, I mean, today shot the ball extremely well from beyond the arc. I, I don't know if we're going to see that a lot moving forward. I mean, look, if that if that is what ends up happening, then great. Carolina would gladly take that. But I think what's what's awesome about Pete Nance is that he can do it in a in a multitude of different ways. He is that guy that can go and play in the post and make plays down there on the offensive end. But at the same time, he's the guy that can also step out and knock down some threes if you have good ball movement and can find them open. And today, look, he hit some clutch shots. There were a, there there were a few guys that hit some big shots for Carolina. He was one that consistently throughout the day Whenever Carolina needed a basket, and especially in that second half, it was either Kim or Caleb Love that found a way to make shots. So I think he's a guy that you're 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 starting to build a little bit of confidence in him. And people have to remember that we had a similar it, it was a similar trajectory with Brady Manning. He, he wasn't a guy that immediately came in and was on fire. He wasn't even a guy that was starting at the beginning of the year for Carolina. So I think it, it, it's just gonna, it was going to take him a little bit of time to settle in. And look, there will probably be other games where you will question, you know, forgetting about this game. Um, and and some of the other times that we, we see him perform well, he is going to be an up-and-down player, I think, at least for the majority of the first half of the season. But it's performances like this that give you confidence that when it it is winning time in February and March, that this dude is going to be able to get the job done. He's got the ability on the offensive end. And I, I, I have been, you know, on that end of the floor, I have been extremely pleased with what I have seen from him. I think there are still some things that he has to do better on the defensive end of the floor. But I, I think that this, this is a guy that we're seeing why Carolina's staff was so interested in him. Let's talk about an area that wasn't so pretty today. Um, many of you were eating turkey that was carved, and Carolina's defense got carved like the turkey that you saw on your Thanksgiving platter. Um, first off, got to give Portland a lot of credit. The 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 offensive game plan that Shantae Leggins put together was impeccable. They were running NBA stuff out there today, and that's something that you know Carolina hasn't seen quite a bit of. And you know you you're you're going to imagine maybe not this weekend because of how quick the turnarounds are, but ACC teams will put on this this Portland film. And try to find ways to to attack Carolina's defense. You know, Portland, you know, did shoot under 50% from the field and under 40% from three. But the quality of shot they got for 40 minutes, I thought was the most frustrating thing. There were some times that Carolina played really good defense and guys made shots. And you live with those. Um, but I, the screening, I thought, was the big reason why. They were basically either using a pin down screen, which is where they just, you know, they 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 screen down the floor, and or they were using an elevator screen, which means they were screening in the middle of the lane to free open their shooters. Nothing illegal about it, but Carolina didn't adjust to it. I I actually thought, and <laughs> you know me, and and you guys that listen to the podcast know me, don't believe in zone defense. 
think it should be outlawed. Shouldn't it be allowed to be played? I thought Carolina should have went zone because they couldn't they couldn't guard the action. Um, I talked to my little brother after the game. He said, Bubba, I thought they should have went zone. I was like, I was right there with you. Um, even though I don't believe in it, Hubert Davis doesn't believe in it. But Carolina's defense, I, I think the thing that has made me the most frustrated is that I don't feel like they're making it tough on offenses. I think they are allowing the opposition to, you know, be be the be the the the, the more aggressive team. They're, they're getting where they want to get to. They're getting to their spots. They're they're getting to run their action. And Carolina's just living and dying with the results. And that's what's got to change on that end of the court. As much fun as this offense was in the in the NCAA tournament. Carolina's defense was as good as it has been in the last five years because uh, they, they they competed defensively. I don't think right now Carolina is competing defensively, and that's a big reason why they're struggling to hold opponents that don't have great offenses. To, to they're, they're having a hard time shutting them down. And then today they found themselves in an old-fashioned shootout, and I don't think that was the expectation entering this game. No, I don't think that was the expectation at all. But I, I mean, look, I, I the thing for me that's most frustrating is it's inconsistency. That's what it is. I, I thought the other day on, on Sunday against James Madison, they played really well defensively. I thought they were active. I thought they were getting in the passing lanes. I thought they did a good job of taking the Dukes off the three-point line in the second half after James Madison got some good looks in the first half and knocked some down. But all that kind of changed today. And there was never a moment in that game where it felt like the guys on the floor made the adjustment. Look, Huber Davis knew that his guys were not playing well that when they went into that halftime locker room. And I'm not in the locker room. I'm almost certain that he did not go into the locker room and tell them, hey, we didn't look great in that first half. Maybe we should keep doing exactly what we were doing. So, I mean, it's it was just I don't know. I we've seen this at times from them this year too, primarily in the game against the College of Charleston, but we also saw it a little bit against Gardner Webb, where you're just letting guys get to their spots and you're kind of giving them what's there. And and that's the thing is, you've got to be more consistent. You know that we we know that you are capable of doing the things that or that, that have to be done to prevent teams from getting easy looks. And look, you still created 12 turnovers, but at the same time, it's it's just you, you are not – you didn't do enough to make it difficult for these guys. And you, you mentioned it. There were so many times, especially in that first half, where guys were just coming open from three – Easy. Second half, I thought there were some times where guys just made tough shots. But even then, I thought there was a stretch in the middle of the second half where they had three or four straight possessions where they just let a backdoor cutter get in easily. It's that's the thing that's frustrating, is that it just it it, it comes and goes with this team on both ends of the floor. And right now you you're you're just waiting for that complete game from Carolina. Sunday against James Madison was probably as close as you've gotten this season. But even there, it still didn't feel like it was complete because of what happened early in that second half. So it's we know that 
the talent is there. We know that this is a team that, as you mentioned at the at, at the end of last year in the tournament, really did a good job of guarding the basketball. We're not seeing that consistently enough early on in the season. And again, maybe maybe what this team needs is to face some of these major conference opponents where they know going in they're going to get a tough challenge because the unpredictability of these mid-majors, it just doesn't seem to be doing this team any good on either end of the floor at this point. The other end of the floor today I thought was some of the best offense we've seen from Carolina. And no, it wasn't their highest total scoring output. They scored 102 against the College of Charleston, but they scored 89 points, nine points above the season average, and they did show shooting 53% from the field and 50% from the foul line. Now, it was powered by two guys. It was Caleb Love in the first half who scored – 16 points on seven of nine shooting. And then it was Pete Nance in the second half, who we just talked about, scored 20 of his 28. But I I really thought in the second half, when they got punched in the mouth and they were down 53 to 46, I think this team last year panics. And I think they probably try to get it back in two to three possessions by shooting three-pointers. This team didn't do that. They kept kept doing what they needed to do. And I thought the best thing they did – and even though R.J. Davis was only 4 of 11 from the the field today, they were aggressive because Portland's guards couldn't stay in front of them on the perimeter. And this was the first time all year where I felt like Caleb Love and R.J. Davis said, no matter what, we're going to get downhill and we're going to make something happen. We're going to get to the bucket. We're going to draw two guys and kick it. Or, you know, something positive is going to happen. And it did. That's why Pete Nance was able to score 20 points. That's why Leaky Black was able to knock down a big three-pointer in the corner when they needed one. Armando Baycott wasn't great today, but he was just timely with his scoring. And then in the last four minutes, the two best players on the court today, which were Love and, and Nance, they were the ones that were taking and making the most important shots. This offense got off to a rather slow start. They didn't look good against UNC Wilmington. Then they busted out for a big second half against the College of Charleston. Not a whole lot of great things against Gardner-Webb. Then James Madison, they scored 80 points, and and, and they really dictated what was going to happen. I think it's safe to say after what we saw last Sunday, what we saw today, that this offense is starting to round into form and be the type of juggernaut on that end of the court they're more than capable of being. Yeah, we knew it was going to take a little bit of time for this team to get into rhythm. But look, this is one of those days that you kind of look forward to more often from this group because the guards took over this game. And look, Pete Nance ends up leading them in scoring. But as you see, when the guards are able to be as effective as we know they are capable of being, it sort of opens everything else up. And I thought you you were you are 100% right. The Thank focus you. to get downhill is something that we have been asking this group to do all season long. And they did it in this game. And it was it was the difference. And and the other part of it is is that again, we asked them to make perimeter shots. They made some really tough shots in this game. The toughest shot of them all, look, Caleb Love hit his fair share of them throughout the night. Nothing was tougher to knock down than that shot from R.J. Davis with what was on the line, the fact that he cho- that they chose to bleed the clock there. That was a huge shot 
Because if you don't make that, Portland comes down, has a chance to tie it. And the way, look, Portland would have loved for that game to go to overtime because Carolina had had gotten the momentum back. They were making some plays late. And if they send that game to overtime and extend it out, especially with Armando Bacon in foul trouble, who knows how that game ends. So for them to be able for, – for R.J. Davis to step up in that moment, make that shot – and then turn around on the other end of the floor and make a huge defensive play. It was massive for this team. Offensively, the only thing that concerns me is the fact that that bench scoring just is not there. This looks a lot like last year's team right now. It looks like it is going to be five guys that are going to carry you. You will occasionally get some contributions off the bench, but it's something that you cannot count on going into games. Carolina's got to find that solution off the bench. And look, Puff Johnson played nine minutes today. He only took one shot. So, you know, he's he's a guy that has to be a little more consistent. DeMarco Dunn, he scored the only points off the bench for Carolina in this game, but he was just one of four from the field. So Carolina's got to find other guys that can step up for them off this bench and give Carolina some legitimate scoring there when they – have to take guys off the floor due to foul trouble or when they want to just give guys rest because these starters are doing a good job of carrying you, but you're going to start facing some teams that are much better defensively than the teams that you have faced so far. When they are able to slow down your starters, if there's a guy that can come off the bench and sort of get your scoring going, that would be huge. Right now, they just don't seem to have that, but yeah, Today, overall, it's hard to be too critical of this offense because this was a group that simply did what they have needed to do to, you know, function at their highest level, which is just make shots. Let's let's talk about the bench because that was the thing we heard all summer was we got to be deeper. Um, you know, I I said, look, you can get to the national title game with six. Don't think you can win it. And so we've seen Hubert Davis more aggressively than even times last year this early in the season. He's he's kind of forcing lineups out there because he's trying to develop depth and try to figure out who he can trust, how he can trust them, and, and, and how he can best use a lot and utilize them. He played five guys off the bench, albeit McCoy and Nickel playing a minute, but Trimble played five. DeMarco Dunn played 11. Puff Johnson played nine. And those guys combined to score three points. At what point does Schubert Davis have to scrap playing eight, nine, ten guys and realize that his best bet, like last year, to win basketball games is to play six or seven? Because I feel like we're getting closer to that answer than I think we thought we were going to entering the season because on paper, Carolina is ta- is, is deeper than last year. They're more talented than last year. But it just feels like for whatever reason – there's about seven to eight guys you you trust being on the court throughout the duration of 40 minutes of a college basketball game. I mean, who are those guys, though? Because I don't know who you would actually trust here. They seem to kind of go – I mean, it seems fleeting with every guy. Um, I mean, look, Puff Johnson, it's not really fair to judge him because this was just his second game. But even with Seth Trimble, you've seen you know his success kind of come and go. DeMarco Dunn. I mean, he scores three points in this game. This was probably his best game that he's played so far this season. Um, Tyler Nickel, I mean, he's looked like a freshman, but he's done some good things on the defensive end of the floor for you at times. I just, 
I don't really know if you can do that right now because I don't know if you have that sixth or seventh guy. Um, I would say Puff Johnson is probably that sixth guy, and you feel pretty confident that most nights he's going to be able to give you something consistent off the bench. But outside of him, I just don't know if anybody else is really at that level yet where you can feel like you can trust them fully. So I, I don't I don't know. And and maybe there are maybe there are guys that are not playing right now where it that they end up actually being a part of this group. I, I still think Jalen Washington at some point is probably gonna get a look here because of how much Hubert Davis talked about him in the offseason. And he's still a guy that's kind of trying to get back to full strength. I think it's going to be similar to maybe what we saw from Puff Johnson last year, where they're going to let him take his time, and then maybe eventually they will give him a shot out there and see what he's got. But, I mean, to me, the one of the most mind-blowing things about the bench unit is what happened to Dontrez Styles? Is he right now playing that badly on the offensive end of the floor? Or, I, I mean, I just don't understand because th that was a guy that I thought for sure Carolina was going to play a lot more this year. You were going to see him probably have similar minutes to what you see Pup Johnson have. Um, and we're just not seeing that right now. So, I don't know. To me, it's it, you got to continue to rotate the depth that you have because until you can find guys that you are – a hundred percent confident in coming off that bench. I, I don't think that you can stop trying to find solutions and stop trying to rotate other guys in because it doesn't seem like there's guys right now, especially on the offensive end of the floor that you can trust to continue to match the production or even, even, even just, you know, give you a, a decent amount of production to cover you when you have to take a guy off the floor like you had to do today when Armando Baycott had to be subbed out when he was in foul trouble. Yeah, the only thing I can think of when it comes to Styles is that he's not doing the things in practice to warrant court time. We know that's one thing that Hubert Davis is is big on is that if you practice well, I'll play you. If you don't do the things in practice that is asked of you, not going to play very much. That's the only thing that I can think of that is holding him back. Because we know what he's capable of doing. We saw it last year. We've seen it sometimes this year with him being at least a defensive presence and a guy that can go get on the defensive board. So it's just something that Carolina's got to figure out a way to play more guys. Because, you know, it's not that you can't win playing six or seven because they did it last year. It just makes the task so much tougher. And you run the risk of your guys losing their legs come March or hopefully April, and we don't want that to happen for a second a second consecutive season. So with that, that is going to wrap up this, this portion of the podcast. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're turning the page. Carolina's playing Iowa State um, on Friday afternoon, and we're going to get you ready for the matchup with the Cyclones back right after this on the Four Corners Podcast after this message from Giraffe Kings. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. 
The NBA season is heating up, and there are still so many games coming up. Like if you're a local fan of the Charlotte Hornets, the 76ers are in town. The Minnesota Timberwolves are in town. Or if you're a Nick fan like me, there's a lot of games coming up as we get ready or as we continue to make our way through the NBA season where you can make plenty bets on the association. When I'm looking to get in on the action, I bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money lines on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out, guys. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to DraftKings. Go, go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, and more. The more the more you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win. So whether you're betting on just a straight-up win or how many you know threes Steph Curry is going to have or how many rebound, uh, rebounds Joel Embiid is going to have, you can place all those bets and parlays at DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Place a $5 pregame money line bet on any on, on any NBA team to win their game and get a $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply. See show notes for details. Really do hope you guys have taken great advantage. Lots of great offers I've been giving you on the Four Corners podcast. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough blog podcast. Guys, get to DraftKings, use those promo codes, place some bets, and get some extra cash in your pocket as we are now fully in the holiday season. As I mentioned, Carolina, with a semi-quick turnaround, they play roughly 26 hours after their horn went final today against Portland and their opponent is Iowa State who beat Villanova 81 to 79 in overtime to 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 get this matchup with Carolina and buddy I don't know about you you know we haven't seen Villanova since 2017 or 2016 but I don't I didn't want this to be the first time playing them because I want them in the NCAA tournament I don't know if I want to go back to the national title game because I don't know if I could stomach two losses to those guys. But I didn't want this to be the first time we've played them since that disgusting night in, in, in April in 2016. What were your thoughts? Were you wanting to see Villanova or were you pulling for the upset and wanting to see Iowa State? I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I why If we're going to play them, to me it really doesn't matter when we play them. I just want to kick their ass. I mean, seriously, I, 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 I mean, outside of Duke, I mean, they might be. I mean, are they on the same level as as state, as Kansas? Yeah, I mean, they are a team that, yeah, I, I hate them just about as much as any team in the country. I mean, for a year, maybe even a little more than that, I literally would not say their team name. I hated them that much, and I still hate that team. Um, doesn't matter that Jay Wright's gone. I'm glad he retired because I can't stand him. So, I, I mean, yeah, it, to me, it really, it really doesn't, it doesn't matter. I, I'm kind of taking this like, you know, like the NCAA tournament. Just give us whoever, whoever advances, and and we're gonna hopefully go out there and 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 beat somebody. Um, but you know, look, this was either way, this was interesting 
because you got a team that you lost to in the national title game in 2016 in Villanova that you could have played. But instead, you're going to face a team that you lost to in the first round of the NCAA tournament back in 2014. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it, either way, interesting match or the second round, excuse me. Um, of the 2014 NCAA tournament that broke your heart in heartbreaking fashion. Yep, no, no doubt about that. And, you know, I, I think, you know, on paper, from a talent standpoint, Iowa State has less talent than Villanova. But, you know, the, this Iowa State team, um, they, they, they enter 4-0. This was their first really legit win. Their first three wins came against IUPUI. North Carolina A&T and Milwaukee, but we we know how good Iowa State was a year ago, and the job that T.J. Otzelberger did out there can't be can't be understated. Um, and Villanova has a first year head coach and Kyle Neptune, and they're kind of going through the, the same growing pains Hubert Davis went through last year when he took over a blue blood program. But this Iowa State squad, although unranked. Um, they are a really good one, and um, they've got three players averaging double-figure scoring, led by Jaron Holmes, who's averaging 18.3 points per game, 4.7 boards, 3.3 assists on 44% shooting from the field. He's shooting 39% from behind the three-point line. Then they have Aljaz Kunk, who is averaging 12 points and seven boards per game while shooting an efficient 57% from the field. And then their third guy in double-figures, Osan Osani, or yeah, yeah, yep, Osani is what we're going to go with. It'll be corrected on tomorrow's broadcast. He's averaging 11.3 points, 3.3 rebounds, two assists. He's shooting 61% from the field and 50% from behind the foul line. So like this Portland team we saw today, this Iowa State team will have an international flavor to them. Um, The thing about this Iowa State team, though, that's different from the team we saw last year and the team that Carolina lost to in the second round of that tournament back in 2014 is those teams like to run. This is a defensive-minded team. They're the number one defensive-rated team in college basketball, according to sports reference. They also entered today's game, allowing the fewest points per game in all of college basketball at 45. Of course, that number has since gone up, but because games are still being played around the country, those numbers have not been finalized. They also rank fourth in the country in offensive rebounds per game with 16.3, and they're ninth in the country in steals per game at 11.7. So it's very clear that the Heels are going to have their hands full. As for the Tar Heels, let's look at this game from our perspective. We come in with a 5-0 and record, and – uh you know, of course, we're, we're, we're seeing Iowa State after beating Portland in the first round of the Phil Knight Invitational. We have four players averaging double-figure scoring. Our numbers are updated thanks to the the, the kind folks over at GoHeels.com that, that run the stats for the basketball program. Caleb Love is now the team's leading scorer with 18.8 points, five rebounds, 3.4 assists. He's shooting 47% from the field, but just 26% from three. Armando Baycott's averaging 16.8 points, 12 rebounds while shooting 53% from the field. My my guy, RJ Davis, 15.2 points, 4.4 boards, 3.4 assists. He's shooting 42% from the field, but just 30% from three. And then Pete Nance, 
is shooting or is averaging 14 points per game, four rebounds. He's shooting 57% from the field and 47% from three. So a much more efficient fourth option for Carolina. The Heels right now are second in the country in free throws made per game at 21 and a half. And they're fourth in free throws attempted per game at 28 point three we've seen carolina get tested in virtually every game so far this season but i do think it's i think i do think it's 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 safe to say or fair to say that this iowa state team will be the deepest most talented the most well-coached team carolina has played so far in 2022-2023 yeah there's no doubt about that and i mean look no slight to mark byington and james madison who uh, was a, a really good team that came into Chapel Hill on Sunday. But you mentioned it. This is a team that came into the day as the best defensive team in all of college basketball. And look, I know that the team names that you read off are not going to blow anybody away. There's a good chance that none of those teams will make the NCAA tournament, probably. But I mean, look, in, in any level of basketball these days, if you are the number one defensive team, you are clearly doing something right. And this is a team that played extremely hard for their coach a year ago. And it seems like his group is probably going to be very similar this year. Um, look, they had a fight on their hands today with Villanova, but they found a way to win that game as well. And look, maybe that's part of it is that Villanova is not that great this year. That team is now two and three uh, on the season. But I think the other part of it is that this is just a team that has found a way to play really good defensive basketball. They've made it frustrating for teams. And it's going to be a, a good challenge for this Carolina team. And look, the, the way that they played today, they're, they're going to have to play a lot better against this team because, look, you cannot just assume that you're going to be able to come out and score without an issue against this team. That's that's not something that you are going to be able to do with, you know, some of the other teams that you've played so far this year. You kind of have been able to do that, um, you know, and, and look, that strategy has worked out. There's been other times where, it didn't work out all that great, and you were in a tight game. This is one that, look, Carolina's got to be able to continue to carry over the shooting from today. You want to see that per perimeter shooting um, continue to stay hot. You want to see Carolina continue to look to get the ball inside. But at the same time, this is a game that Carolina will have to bring the defensive intensity in because if they do not, the team on the other side will – and it could be a long day for this Tar Heel team if their offense isn't simmering hot from the field. With that, let's transition into the keys to the game. And the first one I wrote down was to play in transition. I don't feel like Carolina, and even though this half-court offense executed very well against Portland, I don't know. First off, Carolina's not built to play in a half-court rock fight. That's just not who they are. It's not in their DNA. And so I feel like it's important to to make Iowa State play the way we want to play. And I think that's that might be the thing where I've gotten the most frustrated with this team so far this season is that I've never once watched the game, maybe outside of James Madison, and thought, we're imposing our will. We're the one dictating 
you know, tempo and pace and the physicality and all that. It's always the other team's punching and we got to respond. If Carolina comes out and lets, it's kind of like when you play Virginia. If you come out and you let them set the tone early, you get lulled in that playing style. There's no breaking it. You're going to get caught in a half court game, in a half court game, and then you're going to ask, you know, your guards to virtually make every shot they take, and you're going to have to virtually. It'll feel like you got to score every single time. This game needs to be played in the open court. Make Iowa State try to run with you, because the teams that have tried to run with Carolina. The College of Charleston, James Madison, Portland, guess what happened? You beat them. You wore them down over the course of 40 minutes. The same thing will happen in this game. So this is really where I think it's really imperative of Caleb Love and R.J. Davis. Look, you got to know, and and they've done a much better job of picking when to run and when not to run. But when those opportunities are there, this ball has got to get up the court. You got to get – you got to play ahead of the defense because if you let Iowa State – Get get back and set their defense. You're not you're not going to score eighty plus points in this ball game. Yeah, and look, it's weird because when Fred Hoiberg was there, when Carolina faced them back in 2014, um, and even when Steve Prome was there, this was a team that wanted to get up and down the floor, as you were saying. But this is a little bit of a different game for Carolina now against Iowa State because you're you're going to be facing a team that's going to want to slow it down really more than any team that you've played so far this year. And if they do, it, it could be a long day. I think, and again, this is the thing, and I hate to keep going back to the game against James Madison, but again, that's the game where Carolina really looked their best. And I think you saw it a little bit at times against the College of Charleston. But when this team really starts to pick up the pace, you see a a different team, a team that moves the ball well, a team that gets the best looks that they've gotten throughout the season. That's what Carolina ultimately wants to do. Because, yes, as you said, they made shots today in the half court. But you see it that, look, when you – when you're playing in the half court, a lot of the times you have to just make tough shots. And look, maybe Carolina can continue to do that. We hope so. But at the same time, if you can create some easy looks for yourself, you go ahead and do that. And this is, you know, look, I thought you saw, especially to start out the second half earlier today, Carolina picked up the pace a little bit. The problem was, Portland was ready for that pace. Portland said, okay, we can play at this pace. It doesn't feel like this Iowa State team is really capable of playing at that pace. So, yeah, I want to see Carolina try to push it just a little bit, and let's see if they can handle that pace. If they can, okay, then you can go back to saying let's slow things down and play in the half court if we need to. But I think the strategy for Carolina should be Let's come out. Let's be aggressive. Let's try to play an up and down game because if we can, you know, get some easy baskets early on, I I think it will allow them to settle in. And ultimately, that's the biggest thing for Carolina in this game is this team needs to be comfortable. uh, Once again, it never seemed like this team was comfortable in the game uh, in the game earlier today. It seemed like this was a team that was nervous pretty much the entire way throughout. The only game that they've been able to really feel comfortable in was that James Madison game, and it led to their most complete performance of the season. The second key I have is you got to value possessions. 
as I mentioned earlier, that the and, and when breaking down Iowa State, they're ninth in the country in steals per game at 11.7. Carolina turned the ball over 13 times against Portland. Given the amount of possessions, though, it wasn't too high of a turnover rate. If you play in transition and this this game gets north of 85, 90 possessions, you can afford to turn the ball over 12, 13, 14 times. This game is played in the 60 to 70 possession rate. Uh, those those turnovers become really costly. And I think this is something where this is it's it's really big for Armando Baycott because I thought today he really struggled with the double teams and the physicality. Those aren't going away. Every time he gets the ball in the post, he's going to get double teamed. He's got to do a much better job of either passing out of it or dribbling out of it and being stronger with the ball. But I think this is why Hubert Davis wants to have four guys on the court or there were four guards on the court. He can have four ball handlers and, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about this. But right now we're just we're just not there. You know, we're, we're, we're not there because, first off, you're, you're not taking Pete Nance off the court the way he's, he played today. And he's he's rounding into form, it seems like, more, more uh, by, by every game. But also Trimble, Dunn. Puff Johnson, those are just guys that you can put on the court, but it's very brief and you got to take them out. And so this is going to be this is going to be a game that and, you know, you heard it on the broadcast today where this these type of events will have a champ week type of vibe and, you know, kind of a a mini NCAA tournament with the quick turnarounds. Well, what what determines those games guard play? We believe that that Caleb or that Caleb Love and R.J. Davis make up the best backcourt in the country. They're going to have to play like that in this one and, and make sure Carolina is smart with the ball because they come out here and they're loosey-goosey with it. It's going to lead to some easy buckets the other way for Iowa State, and that's not good news for the Tar Heels. Yeah, no, I, they we saw it early in the game today. It sort of set the tone in this one. They were loose with the basketball, Armando Baycott was, and all of a sudden you saw Portland get out in transition. They got a couple of easy baskets. And that set the tone for the entire game. You saw a team that was confident. That's what Carolina has to avoid early in these games is giving these teams confidence because it seems like when they're able to establish a little bit of confidence early on, they're able to hang around for the majority of these games. So if you're Carolina, look, take care of the basketball because if you did that earlier today, I don't think Portland's really in the game. I think Carolina probably is able to – race out to a pretty substantial early lead, probably, you know, pretty similar to what they did against James Madison. And they probably, even if it's not their a, a dominant game for Carolina where they win by 25, 30 points, it would have been a game that was comfortable throughout. So, yes, they have to hold on to the basketball. And like you said, you'd like to play more guys that, you know, a smaller lineup. But right now, they, they have to prove to you that they can handle being on the floor and still being productive before you can do that. Um, the biggest thing for me, I think, is that Armando Baycott just has to be able to take care of the basketball a little bit better. Um, the team as a whole has to be able to take care of the basketball a little bit better. One of the things they struggle with, uh, you know, I saw it you know, multiple times in the second half, I think two or three of their turnovers – or just they weren't getting the ball high enough, knocked down by guys that had their hands up high. So 
it's just about being smart with the basketball, taking what is there and not trying to force things because when you do start turning the ball over, you know, at, at a pretty decent rate, you're going to give them, you know, opportunities. And also, it's also it, it's it's the kind of turnovers that Carolina's having. Almost every one of these turnovers for Carolina seems to come in live ball situations. It's very rare that Carolina, outside of an offensive foul, it's very rare that it is a dead ball turnover. And when you you have those live ball turnovers, it creates those odd man breaks, and it can lead to what we saw today. Portland wasn't a team that was, hey, let's get to the basket. They did it a couple of times, but most of the time it was, hey, we're going to drive the ball down the floor and kick it back for an open look from beyond the arc to a trailer. And that's the thing that Carolina has to avoid in this game against Iowa State. Don't let this team get into a rhythm offensively because if they do, with the way they play defensively, this could be a really tough game for Carolina to come away with victory. The last key, and guys, I'm telling you, this wasn't just me forcing it because it's it's the thing I value the most, but given the stat I gave you earlier that they ranked fourth in offensive rebounds per game, the third and final stat's rebounding. And this is something that now three straight games, Carolina's won the rebounded margin. Back-to-back games, they've done so by being plus 16 on the glass. And you're starting to see other guys really become rebounding presence. I mean, Leaky Black had nine against Portland. He's averaging 7.4 boards per game. Pete Nance had seven. You're starting to get more and more guys involved in this department, and that's what Carolina needs. You've got the best rebounder in the country in Armando Baycott. People can debate that Oscar Schwebe is a better player, that Drew Timmy is a better player, and they might be better complete all-around players. They're not better rebounders than Armando Baycott, but he needs help. And in this game, it's going to be really about finding your man when the ball goes up in the air and getting – this is where technique matters because as much as a rebounding uh, as as an effort thing, technique goes into it. This is where Carolina's got to be technical in their defensive rebounding because they don't want this – they don't want to get beat up on the offensive glass. First off, it would allow Iowa State to – probably find open three-point shooters. And this is a team that's shooting 28% from three as a team. You would imagine at some point those numbers are going to climb. But in addition to that, if they get offensive rebounds, they can milk the clock. And that's going to be their goal is to make this game as short as possible. I think if Carolina wins the rebounding margin by 10 or more, even if they don't play in transition, even if they don't value possessions the way we want to, that could be the deciding factor because, like I always say, it's the most important aspect of the game outside of making shots. Yeah, and with this team especially, I think you've seen, you know, even today you saw a team that offensively was in a groove because of the fact that they did so much great work on the offensive glass. So rebounding – is the key to this team having success. It was the key to last year, and it's been the key to a lot of teams in Carolina's history, having success. So I, I think it's it's something, if they don't realize it after these two games, then, I, I mean, I don't know what to tell them, but I think they do. I think they realize that, look, We've seen how much of a difference just winning the battle on the glasses. Today, they only had 39 rebounds. So if you go back and look at how that'll average out, you'll say, well, 
was it really that great of a day rebounding as opposed to a game where they had 50? Well, they didn't really have a ton of opportunities on the defensive end of the floor in this game because they the other team simply was not missing. So I, I it's it is crucial for Carolina this season to be able to rebound the basketball. You you have seen what teams that can get on the offensive glass can do to you with what happened earlier in the season. You don't want to have to, you know, try to fight through some of these games because look again, you've played probably the most least talented teams that you're going to play this year. Um, so far out of conference, maybe outside of Louisville, because that might be the worst team in the history of basketball. And I'm talking about peewee level, middle school, high school. That team sucks. So, I, I mean, right. it's you, you faced most of the teams that you are going to still be able to find a way to beat, even if you don't do the things that set you up for success. Now, you have to be able to. You know, come out here and continue to punch teams in the mouth on the glass. My thing is, is look, as long as you do that, it's it's going to be hard for us to be super critical of a game unless you just do something else that wrong. Unless there are so many other, so many egregious defensive errors, you're taking just terrible shots, you, you, whatever. If you rebound. It's going to give you a chance to win every single game this season. So this is another one of those games. And as you mentioned, this is a team that all the other teams that we faced this year, you faced some good rebounding teams. James Madison was a pretty good rebounding team. But this team, fourth in offensive rebounds per game so far this season, that's an area that really hurts you earlier in the year. So this will be a big test for Carolina. But – I like where this comes on the schedule. If you had played this game a week ago, I would have said, man, Carolina is going to be in a ton of trouble. But with the fact that they've strung together two really good games on the glass, I think you can feel pretty confident in what Carolina is doing right now, that they'll come away uh, with at least winning the rebounding battle. It might be closer in the last two games, but I find it hard to believe Carolina won't win that rebounding battle. All right. It's late, and it's not that I'm tired. It's that I want more pie. Who wins and why? Uh, I also want another piece of pie, so I'll make it pretty simple. I think Carolina wins. I think that it is, you know, uh, it's going to be a close, uh, a pretty close game. I think it'll be a back-and-forth battle, a, a nail-biter, however you want to put it. But I think Carolina right now has – you know, the guards playing pretty well. Even before the th this game, I thought that at least one of those guys played well in every single game. So, to me, I think you'll see one, if not both of those guys, play extremely well again. I think Armando Baycott probably wants to be a little more of a presence than he was in this game. And so far this season, we've seen him kind of be able to turn it on and off offensively. I think it'll be on in this game. Pete Dance, eh, probably not as dominant as he was in the in this game on Thursday tomorrow, but I, I do think Carolina gets the job done in a close one over Iowa State. I've got the heels too. I, I think first off, playing a little bit later in the day will but will benefit this team. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they struggled playing at ten o'clock in the morning local time after flying out to the West Coast, and I and I, I think. 
I think Hubert Davis, uh, you know, the last time he was this, you know, upset with his team publicly, they came out and responded. I think they know that there's a lot of questions about this team and about are they the number one team in the country? Are they being overrated? The only way to quiet those questions is to win basketball games and, and look good doing so. And, and I think I think if they can find a way to still be the hunter with still all these weight, the burden of expectations and all that stuff, it's going to benefit this team. And so maybe they take on that 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 underdog mentality that or the disrespected mentality and find a way to start repod, responding in a positive way. I like the Heels. I think they advance to the championship game. And, you know, we'll find out tomorrow the game tips at 530 on ESPN. And no matter what happens, no matter if Carolina wins, no matter if Carolina loses, we'll have you covered on the HeelToughBlog.com where it may be a holiday weekend, but we're working through it. We had you covered for Carolina and Portland. Go back, check out that recap. We'll be getting you ready for Iowa State. There'll be a preview and a recap up of that game as well. And then there'll be something there for you in Carolina's final game, whether they're playing in the in the championship game or if they're playing for third place. As for the football side of things, see regular season finale, probably when you're hearing this on the day of recording, they play Friday at 3.30 against NC State. Anthony will have you covered with a preview of the game. Then he'll follow up with the recap. There will be no Ashton's analysis, but we will have a trench report and a stock report that will come from this game. So find all this great football and basketball content at HeelToughBlog.com. And as for the podcast, you guys know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform. Just simply search the Four Corners Podcast where we will pop up where we encourage you guys to rate and review the podcast. We are noticing some more reviews coming in, and we appreciate that. But most importantly, guys, hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any additions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, that is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. I want to wish you guys a, a one last happy Thanksgiving. And as always, go Tar Heels. <laughs>